Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy news for you today. And Jim... I wish we had a little more good news from Republicans in the Senate, but thankfully we've got good news from the Senate anyway because of Kirsten Sinema. She, of course, uh, along with Joe Manchin, are the reason that the Democrats aren't running completely roughshod over Washington and the country right now. But she's also thrown a major wrench into the biggest uh, Democratic piece of legislation that's still uh, part of the wish list, the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation plan. According to uh, Daily Wire, faced with a divided Senate, leadership of the Democratic Party has been attempting to ram a $3.5 trillion spending package through Congress with a process known as budget reconciliation, which allows them to avoid the 60-vote threshold to hold a debate in the Senate. However, on Wednesday, Cinema announced she is concerned about the cost implications of the spending package and therefore opposes it in its current incarnation. She says, quote, I have uh, made it clear that while I will support beginning the process, I do not support a bill that costs $3.5 trillion. And in the coming months, I will work in good faith to develop this legislation with my colleagues and the administration to strengthen Arizona's economy and help Arizona's everyday families get ahead. So, Jim, it's a, it's a qualified good martini because she still is uh, looking to get something done here, which would probably have a pretty massive uh, price tag. I don't know if she just wants to put a couple Band-Aids on it from her perspective and, um, and, and make the case that she made some major changes here. Or she, like uh, Manchin has said in the past, that she doesn't love using reconciliation a lot either for the same reasons she doesn't want to kill the filibuster. But uh, either way, the Democrats are going to have to make some changes here because cinema is apparently the uh, only person in her party who is willing to stand up to this thing. Greg, I've been thinking about what scenario would be the best case scenario in these infrastructure, you know, seemingly endless infrastructure talks and deals and wrangling on Capitol Hill. There are probably some conservatives out there who would say, look at the size of the debt, look at how much we're spending, look at how much has been unspent from previous efforts at COVID relief. There's really no need for, you know, the, the best case scenario is that none of these bills pass and that, you know, everybody simply... Uh, states finance their own infrastructure projects and things like that. That's probably not going to come to pass. The president's prioritized this. There is a, you know, very thin Democratic majorities in the House and Senate. Something's going to pass. So probably if you're a conservative, the best case scenario is that this bipartisan one passes. It finances mostly genuine infrastructure, mostly good and useful stuff, and that it torpedoes the $3.5 trillion separate bill the Democrats want to pass through reconciliation. That's, you know, the ideal scenario you get to. And right now, Kirsten Cinema makes it sound like that's the option that she sees most plausible and most likely. And we haven't even heard from Manchin. So maybe if you could pull that through, that would be absolutely terrific. That having been said, I think what's more likely is you'll get this through and then you know just because she's saying she can't go for the 3.5 reconciliation package she'll go for some other and it'll be two trillion or or some lesser figure now considering how democrats were talking about six trillion this is you know you've talked them down quite a bit this would not be the worst worst case scenario that having said you are injecting trillions upon trillions into the economy right when we're already dealing with inf- uh with inflation that could have some very bad implications down the road. So again, it's qualified, but at least right now, cinema is sticking where we are. 
and it kind of alludes to our not so great martini in the uh, in the crazy martini coming later. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So if they get what they want here, three and a half trillion plus the infrastructure bill at the moment, it hasn't actually been written yet, 1.2, that's 4.7, uh, plus the COVID relief bill, which has actually become law, six and a half trillion dollars on top of all the normal stuff that we spend money on. And as you just said, Bernie would have liked to uh, tack on a couple trillion more. The fact that he's Setting the budget parameters uh, tells you a lot about where we are right now in our fiscal health in this country. But uh, if you want to get your fiscal house in order, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And one way is to just buy quality products that are on sale, especially when they're on a deep discount. And that's where my pillow can help you out a little bit. We've talked a lot about the quality pillows. We've talked about the great sheets. But the MyPillow towel set is also fantastic. They're big. They're fluffy. They're soft. They dry off real quick. And right now, you can get it all at a massive discount. You can get the six-piece towel set, which is regularly $109.99, for just $39.99. Now, each set has two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack. They're made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent, soft to the touch, and none of that lotion-y feel. They're made with cotton grown in the United States. They are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable. They've got a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104, the MyPillow six-piece towel set for only $39.99. And while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow premium pillows. It's MyPillow.com or call 800-874-0104. Onto the bad martini in just a moment, but Jim, I do want to back up a minute here. Uh, how much political latitude do you think Kirsten Cinema has? She's obviously in a very competitive state, so the more moderate she seems, the better you'd think her statewide uh, chances would be come 2024, although a lot of time between now and then. But her opposition to changing the filibuster and some other moves she's made, uh, her thumbs-down vote on, on the minimum wage increase, for example, um, there's a lot of talk about primarying her, so how far can she uh, get away from the, the crazy part of the party and still be the nominee? Well, in, in Arizona, the race to watch is not cinema. It's Mark Kelly, who's actually going to face the voters again in 2022. Right. Uh, because he's got that shortened one. He's doing the, the tail end of one of the, his predecessors. Um, so he's a little more interesting. He's the one. I, I remember um, watching somebody I knew on Facebook when Trump had announced that uh, Steve Bannon was going to be you know, White House senior counsel, whatever his title was. And uh, this person was left of center, Democrat, just spitting hot mad that Steve Bannon had joined the White House. Now, I'm not a big fan of Steve Bannon, so I, I, I was no fan of that either. But this person who lived in Pennsylvania was really mad. They said, Senator Pat Toomey, if you let this happen, I'm going to come after you. You know, you know, here's the thing. First of all, it was a White House position, so there was no Senate confirmation. Pat Toomey could issue a statement saying, I don't like Steve Bannon. I'm pretty sure Pat Toomey doesn't like Steve Bannon, but there was really nothing Pat Toomey could do to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stop this White House person from appointing this. But then the next thing is that, you know, Toomey had been reelected in 2016. And this was like January 2017. So it was like six years from now, we're going to come after you. Like, by the way, that's right <laughs> around now, 2022, right? So I don't think senators really spend that much time worrying about how is this going to come back and bite me four years down the road. Uh, I think they worry two years out. Now you could argue whether they should. You could argue, but my guess is that when you know Kirsten Cinema faces the voters 
in 2024, 2024, you know, the presidential race will be going on. It, it could be Biden. It could be Kamala Harris. It could be some other Democrat. We don't know who the Republican nominee is going to be, but I guess you'd guess probably Trump. But, you know, who knows? There's such a completely different set of issues that could be there. Pandemic is presumably over, but you don't really know. And I just don't think you spend a lot of time worrying about people going to be really, really upset in November 2024 about the infrastructure vote you took back in July of 2021. I, I just don't think I just between now and then other issues will come along that will be more important in voters minds. Um, will progressives in Arizona, you know, still carry a, a, a grudge? Yeah, yeah, probably. But in the end, very unlikely to see them sitting out and saying, oh, I'm going to vote for the Republican or, or anything like that. Or maybe they'll vote green or something. But uh, no, and cinema's got much more appeal amongst Republicans um, right now. Uh, a really rare crossover appeal that I think she's I think she's she's fine where she is. I don't think there's really any pressure for her to move further to the left or something like that. And like I said, her saying I can't vote for the three point five trillion dollar deal. That's not saying I, I oppose all efforts at a separate reconciliation package. I think you bring it down a little bit. She'll sign on, and we'll, you know, Democrats will get not everything they wanted, but a lot of what they wanted in two massive infrastructure bills. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, so it's Kelly, uh, and we'll see who the Republican nominee is. The Attorney General Brnovich might be the the favorite in that race, and Kelly has not been very nuanced in his voting. I don't think he's bucked the system at all. Um, if the Republicans can take one of the chambers and pretty much put the Biden agenda on ice leading up to uh, Cinema's reelection, she could have an interesting primary, but. Uh, Cinema, uh, you're a pleasant surprise uh, for the most part. Uh, we did not have much <laughs> in the way of expectations following that 2018 campaign, but she's one of the few people uh, separating us from a lot, a lot of badness coming out of the U.S. Senate. So anyway, on to our bad martini now, Jim. And of course, we talked at length yesterday about the CDC going back to its old guidelines that vaccinated people still have to mask up because the caseloads with the Delta variant are, are going higher and it didn't take long. For the people who uh, love to shut things down to rear their heads again, and nobody does that better or worse, depending on your perspective, than Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, uh, who has spent more time than anyone trying to make sure people aren't in the classroom uh, over the last uh, year and a half. Here's what she said just hours after the CDC announcement. Has really thrown this curveball that says that while vaccination is the number one gold standard, um, that we need to you know, bring back our masks for schools. So the bottom line is we're gonna keep kids safe, we're gonna keep our members safe, and we're gonna try to open up schools and we're gonna try to move through this political battlefield. Well, the political battlefield that you had a major part in creating, Jim. What do you make of her trying to get schools open again in the next month or so? Yeah, she wasn't trying that hard for much of the last 18 months. But uh, Greg, so I'm glad she's on board with the vaccine mandate for, for all teachers, right? <laughs> oh, oh, no, she's not. Oh, oh. So it's OK to force kindergartners to wear masks. But saying if you want to be a teacher, you got to you got to get vaccinated. No, she's not on board with that. Both the American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association have both come out and opposed vaccine mandates for public schools. Um, they're saying they want either frequent testing or they believe it should be left up to the individual school districts. Now, here's the thing. Well, listeners, you know, I'm pro-vaccination. Go out there and get vaccinated. But if you don't like if you don't like what I'm saying, go talk to your doctor. I got a real good chance. I think your doctor is going to say, yeah, you should go get vaccinated. Maybe you're allergic. You know, it's good to check that out if you if you if you suspect you are. 
Um, there are, you know, that small number. And there, you know, if you're under, if you're listening to this podcast and you're under age twelve, well, first of all, good for you. What a bright little young man or young woman. Uh, but then the other is you're just not eligible yet, and we think they'll be approved uh, hopefully Thanksgiving, but maybe the FDA is sending early to mid uh, winter. You know, so, so there, there's certain there's small groups of Americans who can't get vaccinated, but all American teachers. They've been eligible since at least uh, April. In places like New York, they've been they've been eligible since January, right? So, there's really no good reason for teachers to not be vaccinated by now. And if you you know, but if for some reason these teachers unions don't. Now, here's the thing: if you want to point to rural Americans, red state Americans, folks wearing MAGA hats and stuff like that, and you say you're a vaccine skeptic or an anti-vaxer, you're extending the pandemic. You're being so selfish. Well, if you're, that's your attitude towards those folks who refuse to get vaccinated. That should be your attitude towards public school teachers who refuse to get vaccinated. And right now in New York City, it's around 40%. Just look at the numbers, by the way, in, I don't know, for, specifically for teachers, but the numbers in Montgomery County and the numbers in the District of Columbia and the numbers in Alexandria, Virginia, my old stomping grounds, as Yuppie Acres before Authentic, Authenticity Woods, they all have, you know, not just among teachers, but they're all like 60% vaccinated. Yeah, get up to above 61 when you throw in the people who've got one shot. But that still leaves like about a third to 37 percent who aren't vaccinated. If you're really mad at all those rural folks, maybe you should get mad at these other folks in these deep blue areas, too. I don't understand why this is attitude. Like, you know, look, the anti-vax, the people who aren't vaccinated yet are just the worst, except the ones who are parts of the Democratic Party or who are constituents or who are key allies. Then it's excusable. Then it's perfectly understandable and we don't want to give them any grief. It is a ridiculous double standard that I just find utterly unsufferable. And I just kind of, you know, metaphorically wish that Randy Weingarten would get pelted with rotten fruit everywhere she goes. <laughs> but it gives Randy Weingarten leverage, right? Uh, because uh, if she's constantly got to protect her people, uh, then it gives her a stronger position to force other people to do things that are severely uncomfortable. Yeah. The message is school districts, parents, everybody else, children, you've got to take more and more sacrifices in order to protect all of my members who refuse to get vaccinated. Wow. And as we'd like to have as a disclaimer, whenever we talk about Randy Weingarten, we are not blasting teachers for the most part here. Uh, we are blasting the unions. They have been a huge stumbling block to progress and common sense over the last 18 months, especially her. And whatever you do, don't mark down the grades of little Garrity boys or little Columbus girls. <laughs> there you go. All right. Let's talk about another way to get your financial house in order. And this one uh, might actually end up being an, an even stronger way to do that. And that is getting your student debt under control. Look, those costs are just getting worse and worse. And they don't look like they're going down anytime soon. But if you are done with those uh, student loans and you're still trying to pay them off, Earnest is a great way to get those loans and those debts under control as quickly as possible because Earnest can help you refinance those loans. We know times are tough and worrying about those student loan payments don't make things any easier. It doesn't help get those loans paid off. That's where refinancing with Earnest could help. So say goodbye to stressful student loan payments and just take charge of your future with Earnest. Earnest offers low-rate student loan refinancing, and you can check your rate risk-free in just two minutes. With Earnest, you get radically flexible payments and you can pick your loan term. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money, or combine multiple loans into a simple monthly payment. And if you have questions, you can even talk to a real live human being at Earnest for help. Now, isn't it time you stopped feeling overwhelmed by your student debt? 
You should, because Ernest is now giving our listeners a $100 bonus, and you can refinance your student loans at earnest.com slash martini. Terms and conditions do apply, but once again, you can get a $100 cash bonus when you visit earnest.com slash martini to refinance your student loan. It is not available in all states, though, so check that out. And also remember, again, that terms and conditions apply. All right, Jim, we talked about the $3.5 trillion bill that Kirsten Cinema is not happy with. Let's talk about the one that's right in front of the Senate now, and that's this $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which we should stress once again, doesn't actually exist yet. Uh, they're going to uh, go through this uh, tortured process. You know, it's supposed to go through uh, committees and so forth, but, you know, who has time for that anymore? We just uh, write these things uh, in, in closed rooms. But there was a vote yesterday to open debate on this bill that doesn't exist, and it passed 67 to 32. So cloture was invoked. Uh, they can begin debate now. There'll be another vote to invoke cloture to close debate, so Republicans still have a chance to stop it there. And then if it gets to a final vote, it would be up or down. So $1.2 trillion here. And, of course, you've got, I guess, 17 Republicans uh, on board with this. One of them is Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, who we generally like here, Jim. Uh, and he's very excited that $110 billion of this is being set aside for repairing and building roads and bridges. I have good news for the people of Louisiana and good news for the American people. We have an agreement on an infrastructure package. Now, okay, infrastructure package, what does that mean? Well, uh, let's just talk. $110 billion for roads and bridges nationwide. $40 billion for roads, I mean for bridges. And he talks about how some of the worst bridges uh, in the country, structurally wise, are are in his state. And so he thinks it's a good thing. He talked about uh, tens of billions of dollars for other things. And of course, um, how that would actually be doled out is is another thing. But Jim, it's $1.2 trillion total, if they actually end up coming to that total. $110 billion for roads and bridges. That's less than a tenth of the infrastructure bill for roads and bridges. Now, they've got other things in here. This is from NPR. $11 billion for transportation safety programs, $39 billion in transit modernization, $66 billion in rail. Why do they love rail so much? And $7.5 billion to build a national network of electric vehicle chargers, and $73 billion in power infrastructure and clean energy transmission. So if you thought the green energy stuff was all waiting in that $3.5 trillion bill, not the case. So, you know, most rational people, before this whole debate started, Jim, thought that roads and bridges, maybe some airports, maybe a little bit of cyber uh, would be part of this, but it's just a tiny fraction. And you know when it's just a tiny fraction that the rest of that will be spent very, very responsibly in Washington. Now, if you're looking for a silver lining to this, and it's not a very particularly big one, but uh, the General Accounting Office just confirmed that there is more than $1 trillion in unspent COVID funding sitting <laughs> in various state accounts all across the country. My suspicion is that if this comes to fruition, we're not going to have uh, that much different. You know, basically, when you allocate this much money this fast to states, localities, and other places like that, they just don't have the ability to spend that money that quick. It just comes in too big. Uh, it takes time to do all this kind of stuff. So whatever it is, you know, you're not going to have this. Like, it's not all going to go into the economy all at once. So that might mitigate the inflation factor a bit. That having been said, it's still going to be a big chunk. And you're going to have, my guess is, you know, whenever this passes, six months later, a year later, you're going to have large amounts of money in unspent funding sitting in accounts. Not really doing anybody good, you know, sitting in those accounts. 
by the way, for that unspent COVID funding, which apparently is something they want to reallocate towards the infrastructure deal. It's part of one of the ways that they're saying, okay, like maybe like you know, before you go on one other big spending bill, you should say, okay, what did we what mistakes did we make with the last one? That one trillion figure, by the way, includes one hundred fifty six billion approved by the Department of Health and Human Services and two hundred and ten billion the federal government allocated for state and local governments. By the way, remember the state a lot of states are having like record tax revenues. They don't need it. But anyway, um, and some of this is like, okay, you, you figured you're going to need a lot more personal protective equipment, and then you bought a whole bunch, so you're well stocked on that. Oh, okay, some of this stuff is going to happen naturally. But it was nice to see Republicans like Cassidy kind of emphasizing this point and not being quite so celebrating. As you pointed out, you know, 10% or less of the infrastructure bill not going to, going, to, going to roads and bridges and everything else going to everything else does not sound like really much of an infrastructure bill. This is just another giant appropriations package on top of the already, the, the existing giant appropriations package. Unbelievable. So, Jim, I remember when the COVID relief bill was being debated that a lot of governors were basically saying their states were on the brink of destitution if they didn't get every single dime that was being allocated in this bill. Now, maybe it turns out they didn't need as much as they originally thought, but something tells me they might have been a little more vociferous uh, on the talking points than where the facts were. What do you think? Oh, Greg, actually, it's easy to explain that. Um, they lied. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the answer there. The other thing is, um, like, it, it was like, it, it, one of the things that makes this a very frustrating, and I think you know, if Cassidy's right, you, know, you can find projects across the country. Where like, yeah, this bridge is really old. Uh, it's just barely passing its safety inspections. We need to, you know, we ideally do huge repair. Like, okay, I'm, I'm sure those projects exist. Every state can point to them. I do remember, though, that when Obama passed the stimulus, we need to pass this bill because of our country's, you know, crumbling roads and bridges. And then every couple of years, you come back and you see the exact same rhetoric about crumbling roads and bridges, even though we allocate billions upon billions. And you know, I have question like, Where's all the money we're spending going? Why do we keep why do we keep spending trillions of dollars at a time and it never seems to get fixed? T21 and all these other massive pieces of legislation. When does it reach the point where your average, you know, I'm gonna say Democrat, but not always, your average lawmaker doesn't always say, we need to do something about our country's crumbling roads and bridges. Oh, by the way, a whole bunch of assessments of American infrastructure said they're actually it's not that bad. There are probably some parts of the country that have super duper terrific ones. And then there are ones where like you go through the uh, bridges and tunnels going across the Hudson River uh, around New York City. And you're like, this thing looks like it's made out of balsa wood and it's going to collapse any, any second now. I mean, I realize the Democrats control the process. So if you want to get your $110 billion for roads and bridges, you're probably going to have to agree to some crap. But to agree to make that less than a tenth of it. And even that 110 billion. I mean, how much of that is actually going to get into roads and bridges uh, is is a big question. So, anyway, happy Thursday, Jim. Uh, thank goodness tomorrow's Friday, Greg. <laughs> it is indeed. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us as well. Very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.